0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today, Dr. Newfeld will continue the series, Heaven, with a message titled, The Final Judgment. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, as we begin our study today.
1: In this series, we have spoken about the reality of death, that heaven is not our default position, and that when someone dies in Christ now, there is a kind of intermediate state, a true paradise in the presence of God, while we yet await the resurrection of our perfect bodies at the second coming of Christ. So just so we're clear, let me recount the stages in our redemption. First, we hear the good news of Christ and believe and we're born again. The life to come, eternal life, is already imparted into us now so that we have a foretaste of what is to come. Then if we should die before Christ returns upon death, we will immediately be ushered into paradise or heaven where we'll be in the presence of the Lord. If you've heard my argument yesterday, I think it possible, even likely, that there is some kind of an intermediate body in which we live during this time, although the nature of this remains a mystery, as the Bible gives no clear picture of this, only that the estate of the dead in Christ is better by far than the living here on earth. Then when Christ returns, those who have died immediately receive their final resurrection bodies, and those who are alive in Christ at his return rise to meet Christ in the air and are instantly transformed, also having a resurrection body. In a later program, I'm going to discuss the exact nature of the resurrection body. I've also briefly discussed the reality of the millennium, a period of a thousand years, where those believers redeemed by Christ with undying resurrection bodies assist him in the governance of this earth. At the end of the millennium, the earth and its elements will be dissolved, as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works done in it will be exposed. Now, at that time, when the last chapter of this earth has been written, the Bible indicates the next great event. I'm reading Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." You know, the final judgment presents us with a picture of a righteous God who demonstrates his justice in the life of every single human being. With the billions of people who have lived and died, not one life is forgotten. Not one deed in this earth can be covered up, either good or bad. As Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 3, Therefore, what you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. You know, there are some who argue that there are three separate judgments, but, you know, from my perspective, all scriptural passages which speak about the final judgment all happen at the same time and at the same place. The final judgment will happen after the millennium and the rebellion that occurs in the end of it resulting in Christ's final triumph. According to 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, it is Jesus himself who will judge the living and the dead. That means that all who have died and all who remain at the end of the millennium will stand before Christ. In short, no one, including believers, will be excluded. But as Jesus indicates in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 32, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We can see Jesus moving among the masses of humanity, arranging them in two different groups, the redeemed and those who have no redeemer. According to the Bible, unbelievers will be judged, believers will be judged, and the angelic beings will be judged. Let's look at each one of these in turn. First, notice that when humanity stands before the throne, books are opened. John doesn't tell us what these books are, but the context seems to indicate that these books contain the deeds of all people, what they have done, what they have left undone, what they have thought, what they have loved and hated. It's their in full objective evaluation of every single human life. According to Jesus in Matthew 12:36, on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word that they utter. And Ecclesiastes 12:14 says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now from this, it becomes clear that every single human being will be judged on the basis of the works they do and the works they have left undone. According to Romans 2.6, he will render to each one according to his works, and then later in verse 11, God shows no partiality. Your position in life, your wealth, and whatever might have been given you as an advantage in this life will all be cleared aside. And what will be the result of the opening of these books? Romans 3.10 already tells us of God's judgment. None is righteous, not one. But judgment, it seems, does more than simply find everyone wanting. According to our passage in verses 12 to 13, people are judged by what they have done. This, by the way, helps us to see two very important features of the final judgment. First, it helps us to rid ourselves of the mistaken notion that people are condemned because they didn't become Christians or because they rejected Christ. No, they will be condemned because of their deeds. It also helps us to answer those who say, well, what happens to the person who's never heard of Christ? And the answer is, he or she will be judged by their works, by what they've done. Romans 1, the wrath of God is poured out because people have suppressed a truth of God that they already knew. Judgment will be fair. Just to be clear, Jesus supplies us with everything we need to be spared from the devastating judgment to come and what is found in his substitutionary death on the cross. For without him, the judgment will be on the basis of our works. If we surrender our lives to him, then and only then will the judgment be based upon his works. But please also notice that because judgment is on the basis of works, Punishment is meted out on the basis of works as well. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 47 to 48. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not make ready or act according to his will, shall receive a severe beating. But he who did not know and did what deserved a beating shall receive a light beating. Or in Matthew 11, verse 22, Jesus tells the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So to the answer to the question of whether there are degrees of punishment in hell, the answer is clearly yes. When books are opened, the exact punishment that fits the crime is meted out with fairness with a full expression of the justice of God tailor-made for every single human being. But what of believers? According to Revelation 20, another book is opened at the judgment, and it is the book of life. All those who died with their name already in the book of life were ushered into paradise immediately when they died, and all who were left alive at the coming of the Lord, who had their names in the book of life, will be taken up in the twinkling of an eye and will receive their resurrection bodies. And so, as a matter of fact, by the time of the judgment before the great white throne, there really will be no surprises at all. So why this opening of the book of life? I think the answer is that the opening of the book of life is an important act nonetheless. It is to proclaim the work of Christ. This is a symbolic act, that this book contains a list of those who also would have been condemned, were it not for the saving work of Christ. Now, since Christ was condemned on our behalf, is there then no judgment for the saints? Well, the answer is, well, yes, there is. According to 2 Corinthians 5 verses 9 to 10, Paul is speaking to believers and he says, So whether we are at home or away, that is, whether we're alive here on earth or have died and are in the intermediate state, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Hence, there is a judgment yet coming for all who name the name of Christ. But what can this be, since the Bible makes it clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we come back, we will answer this all-important question. Because the answer to this question has so much to say about what we should anticipate in the judgment to come and also in how we should conduct ourselves here on earth as we await the consummation of all things. We should look forward to the judgment not with a sense of dread, but even with a sense of anticipation. I'm going to help us to understand
0: that when we come back. At Back to the Bible Canada, we believe we share a special relationship with our friends and listeners across the country. A relationship characterized by a common purpose, a fellowship in the gospel. This relationship, this partnership, impacts the lives of real people journeying through life's challenges, disappointments, and struggles. So when we partner in prayer or offer a financial gift, we make a tangible impact. So may I ask you to consider a special financial gift this month? Would you help us share critical biblical insight on living out God-honoring marriages and relationships? Your gift not only supports the airing of our Bible teaching programs, but allows us to make resources like Celebration of Marriage available free on CD for anyone who asks. Help us impact, sustain, and restore relationships, marriages, and otherwise. Ask for your free copy of Celebration of Marriage for yourself or to share with someone who might be encouraged. Call us at 1 800 663 2425 or visit online at backtothebible.ca.
1: We get hints about the judgment of believers from several passages in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 3 12 15 has Paul speaking about the care that each of us should take as we build upon the foundation. In that passage, the foundation represents the foundational truths about Christ, his gospel, the church, and the doctrines found in Scripture. Now, says Paul, if you build on that foundation using substandard building materials, the day, and by that he means the day of the Lord, the final judgment, the day will disclose the kind of work we have done. Paul thinks, and remember, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to think this way that there are some believers whose names are written in the book of life who will see on that day that everything that they have done amounted to no eternal benefit. But there are other passages that speak about this as well. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 3-5. to Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing, that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, for those of you who are confused at this point, let's remember the totality of Scripture. The verse I've just read speaks about a commendation from God, not a condemnation from God. Our sins were born by Christ, and we bear them no more, even if, as Paul says, that the Lord will bring to light all things now hidden in darkness, even that should not disturb the believer. Let me say something that you might want to try on for size. Let every sin that I and you have ever done in life be exposed. Let everything that now shames me become known, and it will not serve to condemn me. It will only serve to highlight the grace of him who has taken away my condemnation. Let it be made known how great is the grace and the love and the mercy of the one who paid my sins for me on the cross. Let me say it again. If all my secret sins are made known, I will not be condemned even for a moment, for Christ was condemned for me. Making my sins known will only highlight how great is the grace of my Savior. You know, but some will object. Well, doesn't the Bible say, for instance, in Hebrews 8, 12, that I will remember their sins no more? Well, yeah, it does say that. But let's be clear about what that verse doesn't say. It doesn't say that God has amnesia or that there are huge gaps in his memory process like a God with dementia. To never remember our sins is to say that God will never use our sins against us. He never calls them to mind in his judgment, for Christ has been judged on our behalf. Now, if that's the case, then why are believers judged at all? And the answer must be that the judgment of believers is a judgment unto rewards. So we are not to fear that terrible things will happen as a punishment for our sins, but rather Christ will judge the nature of the reward we will receive from his hands. Now, where does the Bible teach this? We've already seen that Paul mentions that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ when each will receive his commendation, not condemnation from God. But there's more. Consider Jesus' teaching on this matter found in Luke 19. Jesus tells what has been called the parable of the ten minas. A nobleman went into a far country and while he was gone called ten of his servants, giving them each a mina or a unit of money, and told them to engage in business until he returned. As you'll remember, when the nobleman returned, according to verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. In other words, a tenfold rate of return. And in response, the nobleman tells the man, I will put you over ten cities. Another, as you will recall from the parable, will be put over five cities and so forth. In other words, on the day of judgment, when Christ judges his own, he hands out rewards in keeping with the faithfulness of the servant. It is a judgment unto rewards. To some is given much, to others is given less. Now, this idea of rewards in heaven is standard biblical teaching. In Matthew five eleven to 12, Jesus said, "'Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great.'" Now, from that, we see that not only are there rewards, some rewards, as we have seen, are larger or greater than others. But here's another question. Should the receiving of rewards in heaven actually motivate us? Well, to answer that, I must say that it seems to have motivated Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, it says, "...who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God." Jesus endured not just because he obeyed the Father in all things, which of course he did, but he motivated himself by concentrating on the great joy set before him. And Paul invites believers to do the same. In Colossians three twenty three to 24 Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Or consider 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly must also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This has to do with the rewards granted to believers in the final day. Matthew 10, 41 to 42, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. See, over and over again, the Bible encourages us to strive to gain rewards that will not pass away. In Luke twelve, thirty three, Jesus even encourages us to make ourselves the kind of money belts that will not wear out, and then he tells us what they are an unfailing treasure in heaven. So what does that mean? Are there differing levels of reward and happiness in heaven? Well, listen to Jonathan Edwards. He wrote, There are different degrees of happiness and glory in heaven. There are degrees among angels, uh, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. So there are degrees among the saints. The glory of the saints will be in proportion to their eminency in holiness and good works here. Now, we might find that troubling. Wouldn't that create problems in heaven if one is put in authority over much and another in little? Listen again to Edwards. He says, And there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole society. Those who are not so high in glory as the other will not envy those that are higher, but they will have so great and strong and pure love to them that they will rejoice in their superior happiness. Now, we need to imagine a heaven that is not static, but dynamic and growing. We need to imagine a heaven where the saints will rule with Christ and be given different assignments. But we need also to imagine a heaven where in the final day, a judgment takes place, where Christ rewards us according to whether we have been faithful to him. And when this happens, no envy, no sorrow, no disdain, but only perfect love prevails. What I'll try to present us next week is a picture of heaven that is not disconnected from the life that we lead here. And if you struggle with the idea of rewards, understand that what you do here actually matters in eternity. If you shun the things of the flesh and of sin, if you gladly for the sake of Christ suffer all for him, you will by no means lose your reward. And if you've ever said to yourself, nobody notices when I'm faithful, would you know that Christ notices and he notices for all of eternity. Begin to be thankful that all you do in the name of Christ right now will matter for all of eternity stay tuned as we keep talking about
0: this new heavens and the new earth next week John thanks so much for your message today it's a it's a great message but one of those that brings up all kinds of feelings within me and I'm sure those that are listening the idea of rewards uh, the idea of judgment the idea of God bringing these things back up and I wish they'd just go away as you were talking I was thinking I don't want them to be brought up again. But that's what's going to happen, isn't it? I think one of the
1: reasons we're so fearful of this kind of talk is because, you know, we'll be so ashamed. Um, But I think we might see things from a perspective in heaven that we've never seen before. Uh, One illustration that's been given to me, Ben, is uh, an illustration of, you know, when I was five years old, I sure didn't like coffee, but I love it today. And I, I wonder whether or not our tastes change in heaven. The things that we didn't like, we will begin to love. So I will love the stories of how Christ has brought his full redemptive work to all of my sin. I will love the cross more when I come to realize how deeply dark were my sins and therefore how deeply merciful was Christ's mercy. And my love for that which Christ has done will increase exponentially. My tastes will change so much.
0: So in some sense, you're saying to me, Ben, this is something I should look forward to?
1: Um, I don't know. (laughs) That's a very good question, Ben. Uh, I, I can't imagine, but... You know, when we sing that hymn, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but in whole is nailed to the cross. And I know if I've talked to people who've actually mocked that line, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. How is that a blissful thought? And yet isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, when we paint sin so exceedingly sinful, it paints the cross so beautifully. And I can't help but think we'll
0: never appreciate the cross till we appreciate how deep and dark were all of our actions here? Yeah. Well, you know, when you first mentioned that, I think at the last time, I, it gave me a completely different perspective almost that, you know what, uh, here's an opportunity that I'm going to somehow understand the full redemption, the full grace of God given to me despite these sins that I placed before him.
1: Yeah, it seems to me that when we listen to the writings from Revelation, that Christ is being presented and the wounds that he bore in this life— uh, he will bear for all of eternity, and we will look upon the wounds of Christ, and we will marvel at his wounds, for his wounds will speak mercy. You know, those wounds that that, that I have done bid me come to him.
0: What a great message. Thanks, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. few series have stimulated as much response from our listeners as Dr. John Newfeld's Heaven series. Offering a Biblical perspective on Heaven, both our eyes and hearts are open to an amazing picture of what the follower of Jesus has to look forward to. When we last aired this series, we also offered the Heaven booklet authored by Randy Alcorn. Again, a wonderful overview of the promise of paradise. This booklet was so popular, we were unable to fulfill all the requests. But with the re-airing of the series by Dr. John, we've been able to acquire a very limited number of booklets to give away. So let me encourage you today to call and request your free copy of the booklet, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, While Quantities Last. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or ask by email at info at